Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Dr. Nadia Hashimi, best-selling author, small business owner, and Democratic candidate for Congress in Maryland's 6th District. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So you don't have the typical background of a politician. Could you tell us how your path brought you to a run for Congress? Absolutely. And I'm certainly not a politician. And sometimes I say I don't even actually have aspirations to be a politician. I have done a few different things in my background that have given me the background that I need to want to represent the people in my community, to want to represent the people that I've been working with in my different professional capacities as well. And my story is a little bit different than everyone else's. So I'm someone who is born and raised in the United States, but as a first-generation American, my family came over to the United States from Afghanistan. Education was really important in our family. My parents were like so many other families where they really wanted to see me be in a different position, to be in a more solid position than what they had experienced in their lives. And so I ended up going to medical school. And I did that because it was the perfect blend for me of science, which I really, really love, and working with people. And especially in the field of pediatrics, I was able to, you know, every little thing that you do when you're dealing with a child, when you're dealing with a family that's that's caring for a young child, has a larger impact because whatever you do then translates into larger changes down the road during the life of that child. But in that capacity of working as a pediatrician, I was also seeing a lot of the system failures. I've also been managing a neurosurgical practice. And in that capacity, again, I've seen the system failures where we have insurance companies that get out of their responsibilities of actually allowing the care that patients truly need. You know, we've got patients who need a surgery and the insurance companies are absolutely denying it because it's in their best interest when regards to their profit line to do so. So seeing all of these, watching kids coming into the emergency room in handcuffs, you know, watching people worry about the price of their prescriptions and not being able to go and buy them and coming back to the emergency room, these are all the issues that I've been watching and how it impacts a person's life. And the other half of my story, I don't know if it's the other half, but the other part of my story is also that I am a, uh, I'm an author. So I write books, but the books that I write are very socially themed. And so in my stories that I've crafted for adults and for children, I take on the issues of poverty and the importance of education, what can happen when you have substance use disorders in a community, what happens when you have political corruption in a community um, and in a government system, migration, the impact of war on a population and, and down to a family. So everything that I've been doing in my life has always been a look at how policy impacts human stories, which is all of us, which is essentially what we're looking at in in politics as well. What are the central values of your campaign and what are your top policy priorities? The central value of my campaign is really everything gets looked at through the lens of a pediatrician. So, you know, yes, I'm a mom of four, but I'm also a pediatrician. And my entire life work has been about how do we get a child into a healthy place where that child can not just survive, but that child can thrive. And so when I take a look at, you know, what's the education status or access for every child? What is the environmental uh, factors that are, you know, what, are, what kind of air is this child breathing? What kind of water is this child getting? The, the household as well. So what are the economic standings of this family? Do they have opportunities? Is one of the parents serving in the military and has gone abroad? Have there been any kind of traumatic events in this, in this child's life? That's how I look at every single thing. And my the basis of any platform piece is how do we 
empower that next generation, which truly is the future of our country. So when I talk about what, what we're doing for each child, that's about what we're going to do for the future of this country. And how do we empower each one of these individuals to grow up and not just survive, as I said, but to actually thrive and give back to their own communities as well and help grow our nation. And so the issues that are most important to me are, I mean, first and foremost, is going to be healthcare, of course, but then also education and the environment. So with your expertise and experience in the healthcare industry, what do you hope to do as a member of Congress to make sure that every American has access to quality, affordable care? I can tell you, we, we really need to get to a place where families are not moving away from healthcare because they can't afford it. We've got to get to a place where when we talk about covering people and we're giving them health care, health coverage, that that actually means something, that they can actually get the services that they need when they have coverage. And that's not happening right now. So my specific plan for getting towards a, a more rational and humane and compassionate and appropriate healthcare system is by expanding the single payer, first of all. Um, we've got to get kids covered. We've got to bring down the eligibility age of Medicare to 55. And we've got to offer Medicare as a public option. But that is just a stepping stone. But that's a rational stepping stone that then positions us to have a single-payer system and have everyone covered with a system that is not just designed to cover people, as I said, but actually deliver the appropriate services, focus on preventative care, so that we actually get a return on investment and get people to a healthier place. So there are four other candidates running in the Democratic primary in your district, three of them having held elected office before. What do you think makes you the most qualified candidate to represent your district in the House of Representatives? Absolutely. It is, it's, a, it's an interesting race, and I'm glad to be running against other you know, fairly like-minded individuals. The only reason that I'm running is because I believe I have something unique to offer, and that's that I have been sitting down knee to knee with patients, with their families, and I have an insider scoop on what the healthcare system looks like, the back end of it. I know exactly how the costs have been inflated. I mean, I know exactly what happens when a patient gets transferred from one emergency room to the other and where studies have had to be repeated, and, and that's specifically because we don't have electronic health record systems that can communicate with each other. I know that people are paying far too much out of pocket for their prescriptions to the point where they can't afford it, where we have the ability to insist that the government be able to negotiate drug prices. But seeing where the gaps are and understanding the impact that this has on people is something that I bring to the table. And this is that diversity of experience, right? So I've done it in the pediatric world, but I've also done it with the adult world of medicine as well. And so watching all of these pieces and knowing that doctors are spending about a third of their time sometimes on the phone with insurance companies, I can tell you that I have... I've been arguing on the phone with the insurance companies. I know what they're doing. I know the games they're playing. And that's why I'm ready to take them on. So how exactly do we actually get to single payer? I think we've already had some motions toward that. So we've got bills that have, um, like Bernie Sanders has proposed, you know, a single payer system. Um, I'm, I'm in support of what he's done. I think we have some framework already. We already have a Medicare infrastructure. So this is not something that we're saying we have to invent or create from scratch. We have a framework for it. But I do believe in specific steps, and I do believe in a rational approach to doing things. And that's why I've laid out the three steps of how do we then move to single payer. And that, as I mentioned, is by covering children. And you'd have to do that by designing a specific plan 
that you can model off of other coverage plans and, and use um, child guidelines, pediatric guidelines, in order to create a plan that makes sure that we covered all the preventative needs and appropriate hospitalization coverage, appropriate pharmaceutical coverage, as well as bringing the eligibility down to 55 years old so that we get people onto Medicare earlier, and offering Medicare as a public option, which I believe will put market pressures on the other commercial insurance companies as well to bring down their prices. Those steps will enable us to build out a more robust Medicare framework, and that enables us to then get to a single-payer system. So looking more into your district in particular, it's currently the subject of a Supreme Court case on partisan gerrymandering. Seven Republican voters claim that Maryland's 2011 redistricting process was used to favor Democrats over Republicans, a reverse from the norm as most states were controlled by the GOP in the 2011 redistricting process. What are your thoughts on this lawsuit? How do you hope to fight for fair representation as a member of Congress? So I'm someone who does not believe in hypocrisy. And if I'm going to look at other states and other examples around the country and say that I disagree with gerrymandering that has created Republican districts where a lot of Democratic votes are not being represented, then at the same time, I have to be honest and uh, you know take a look at what's been going on in our own backyards. And we all know that this district is one that is gerrymandered so that we have it as a Democratic district. I think the best thing that we can do is to put forth, you know, as Democrats, solid platforms, solid policies that empower and engage and improve the lives of all people so that we can have more unity and more people coming behind the cause. But I think we can redistrict in a way that would, and there are people who have proposed things like this, that use more geographic lines and population lines as opposed to all these like zigzags and strangely drawn districts. But that would allow people to actually live in the district that they want to represent. It would allow representatives to reach all the people that they're supposed to be representing and to engage more with their constituency. So another big issue involving fair representation is, of course, voting rights, which have been under attack. What would you do as a member of Congress to ensure that voting rights are protected on a federal level? So I think to get voting rights protected, which is an absolute necessity if we're going to be protective of our democratic process and making sure that everyone has the opportunity to have a voice and and have a a piece of this uh, representation, is to, um, first of all, like we just mentioned, the gerrymandering, every vote will count more if we actually represent people based on geographic lines as opposed to gerrymandering districts. I want to make sure we don't, that we can do away with any laws that have a restriction of voting depending on uh, presenting voter ID and making sure that we have more access. In an age of technology, it's ridiculous that we can't get people to be registered voters more easily. So expanding access to voter registration and making it part of an automatic process as well, I think will expand the electorate. In terms of expanding the electorate, in midterm elections, a big problem is that voter turnout tends to be low. And the voters who do turn out tend to be overwhelmingly old and white. Though there seems to be more enthusiasm for the midterms this year, we've recently seen polling showing enthusiasm lowering for Democrats. What do you hope to do to mobilize those voters who don't come out as often, specifically people of color and young voters? You know, this is something that really speaks to the the mission of my campaign. There is a whole new energy 
in politics right now. And that's because a whole new body of people has been activated. We have recognized that if we allow politics as usual to go on, then we end up in this specific space of where we are, where we have a lot of people feeling disenfranchised, where we have a movement that seems to go backwards in time and stands uh, in straight opposition to all the gains that have been made by leaders of activist movements in the decades before us. So here we are. We've gotten all this energy together. But what are we going to do with it? And I think we are realizing that it's time for us to jump off the sidelines and actually get our feet in the door. When we look around, when I look around, and I look at the politicians around me, it doesn't represent what I want to see. That's why I've jumped in. It's not, as I said, because I want to be a politician. It's because I want to change politics. I want it to reflect my community. I want it to reflect my values. So one thing that I'm going to be doing is engaging with people. It's not so much that I want to jump in and speak for others, but I need to be engaged. I want to make sure that young people, people that I've been speaking to in book clubs and in college campuses around the, the issues that I'm tackling in novels, but bringing those voices to the forefront, people that I've been speaking to that have been working in the immigration world around issues that affect people who are aspiring Americans, we've got to bring those voices again to the forefront. We've got to come together and take those conversations and turn them into actions. That's what's happening. That's what happened at the Women's March. That's what's happened in so many forums and arenas across the communities. And that's exactly what's going to change the face of politics in the 2018 election cycle. We're going to see it. We're going to see, and we've been seeing it in 2017 in November. We've had people elected that we would not have believed could be electable before. But the status quo is changing because we're demanding of it that it change. So what advice would you give to millennials who are interested in running for Congress or elected office? Do not doubt yourself. Do not doubt the validity and the importance of your voice. Build your community up and make sure that you are engaged and believe. Um, and I think that's that core belief that we all need to have in our, in our own self-importance and the ability that we each have to contribute something really powerful to our community and to do something good for others. You can do that in whatever line of work, whether it's that you want to be a doctor or if you want to be an artist or if you you know, want to open a business all in all of these roles and in serving others in communities as activists or in elected office. We can empower others in our community, but we have to believe in ourselves first and foremost to get there. So lastly, where can folks find you online and how can they get involved in your campaign? I am pretty easy to find online. I've been telling everyone I'm, I'm pretty Googleable, which I don't know if it's a word or not. But just by typing in my name, NadiaHashimi.com, it'll take you to our website. We would love to have more people involved. We've got a great team of volunteers. Most of my volunteers are Actually, we've got a lot of millennials on the team because we're feeling a real energy around these issues of criminal justice and the environment and fighting for individual rights. People of all backgrounds, I don't care what you look like, what you, what you want to eat, who you want to love, or whatever you are, we all deserve to be able to feel empowered and uplifted by this society and by politics. Everyone who is interested in, in creating a more diverse universe of people who are representatives, anybody who's looking for a politics that 
puts the status quo aside. I'm someone who has decided to sign a pledge for term limits. I'm in support of public financing because I really think that we need to change the face of the system. So I would love for everyone to jump on board. We're having a lot of fun with this too. And that's one thing that I absolutely insist is that everyone on my team enjoy the process and that we're growing from it as well. So we'd love for you to check out the website and, uh, and we'll be in touch. Okay, great. So thank you so much for coming on. It's really great to hear candidates who want to upend the system and fundamentally change what's broken. And it was really great talking to you. You as well. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can get you on again sometime. Again, I'm Jordan Valerie, politics editor of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.